Welcome to this week's episode of the Divine Lantern. Under the blessing of His Eminence, Metropolitan Basilios, the Antiochian Orthodox Archdiocese presents a podcast to educate, empower, and enrich. I'm your host, Jemana, from St. Nicholas Antiochian Orthodox Church in New South Wales. In this week's episode, we'll be joined by Reverend Father Paul Ahalu from St. George Antiochian Orthodox Church in New South Wales, who will be providing a sermon from the Gospel of Matthew, where Christ meets the Canaanite woman in Tyre and Sidon. This will be followed by short readings from our Philokalic Nourishment series, as well as a selected chanting track. We will then conclude today's episode with our Lives of the Saints series, as read by a member of our Archdiocese. A reading from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. One God. Amen. In today's Gospel reading, we have the reading of the Canaanite woman of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, verse 21 to 28. In this Gospel reading, we see the Syrophoenician woman in the region of Tyre and Sidon in modern-day Lebanon. This woman cries out to Jesus Christ, Have mercy on me, O Lord, O son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Could you imagine what it would be like to have this situation that this woman was suffering? To a Jew, a woman cannot just approach and talk to a man in public according to their law, but more so, she was also a Gentile, whom the Jews avoided as they were considered unclean. With Jesus' disciples also urging him to send this woman away because she was not a Jew. Jesus' reply was, he was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. This would have likely pleased his disciples to send her away. However, even with these efforts, the woman persisted. She continued. She was determined to receive from Jesus what she had come for. She came to Jesus also worshipping him, saying, Lord, help me. Her acknowledgement of Jesus as Lord and Master is also very important here. Jesus replied with an even stronger way 
telling the woman, it is not good to take the children's bread and to throw it to the little dogs. This is a very strong rebuke, and one might think that what is Jesus trying to show here to the woman? He's also trying to show something to his disciples, which we will also discuss a little further. So what was Jesus trying to reveal to us here? Obviously, there was the woman, the Canaanite woman here present, and his disciples plus Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ came into the world for the salvation of all people, both Jew and Gentile. But at that time, the Jews would have believed that salvation was only for the Jews and not the Gentiles. However, this was not the apparent at the start of this reading. The disciples were behaving that the kingdom of God was only for the Jews, and they also showed a lack of compassion towards this suffering woman. Jesus was correct in saying that he was sent to the lost sheep of Israel, as God did choose to reveal his act of salvation for all peoples whom he created through the Jews, all being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. However, In the ancient East, calling a person a dog was a very derogatory term. However, how did this non-Jewish Canaanite woman respond? First, she acknowledged Jesus Christ as Master and Lord. This is a woman who was not a Jew, yet there were many Jews who had not proclaimed Jesus as Master and Lord. She also said that the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. This Canaanite woman showed an act of ultimate humility towards Christ, combined with her faith that Jesus acknowledged, knowing that Jesus could heal her daughter, as she would have known and believed that Jesus was Lord. This essential virtue of humility combined with faith that this woman showed emphasised the lack of humility of Jesus' disciples, as Jesus was also using this to teach his disciples as well, but his disciples may not have known it at the time. Through this woman's humility and strong faith, the Lord Jesus Christ gave the woman her desire and her daughter was healed that very hour. Not tomorrow, not in a month's time, that very hour. What do we as practicing Christians in today's world learn from this gospel reading? The first thing we need to learn and take from this is humility. And humility is one of the ultimate virtues that we must need as Christians and need to attain. However, humility is the total opposite of pride. So where pride is present, humility is not. Pride is the mother of all sins. And pride is the sin that is present that leads to all the other sins. Through humility and love for our neighbour, which Jesus teaches us in all the scriptures, this is a great commandment that we must follow, along with the first commandment, that we must love and not worship no other God but God as the true God with all our heart and all our minds and all our souls. So if this is the second commandment and is one of the most important commandments with the first commandment that all the commandments and the teachings of the prophets hinge upon, it is an important and one of the most important commandments that we need to emphasise in the Scriptures. If we humble ourselves before God in love, the grace of the Holy Spirit will come to us. The holy does not dwell where there is unholiness. The holy does not come in the form of the, by the grace of the Holy Spirit where there is pride and where humility is not present. So where there is pride, the grace of the Holy Spirit will retreat and then the helper will not come to help us. 
The grace of the Holy Spirit is a gift from God, and the gift from God can only come to those who are struggling in the faith by trying to achieve holiness. For we are commanded by God to be holy as our Lord God and Creator is holy. Jesus confirmed this to the Canaanite woman by telling her, O woman, great is your faith. He, the Lord, was telling us that we must shift from pride and remove pride from where in ourselves, as this is where all sins come. The Lord was telling the woman, also showing the woman, but also showing the disciples who were showing a lack of humility through pride. The grace of the Holy Spirit is a gift from God, but a gift from God that comes when humility abounds. So as Christians, the Lord said to us, as in his commandments in the scriptures, love one another as I have loved you. He did not say love one another as Christians only. He said love one another. That means he was referring to all his human creation, that we must love all of his creation. He didn't just say Christian only. He also means non-Christian, non-believer. So through humility and love that Jesus taught us, we must also love our neighbour. That means a person who is neither Christian, a person who might be of another faith, or a person who doesn't believe in God at all. We must be called to love them first. We are not called to love their sins, but we are called to love the created of God as he told us to love them. So how do we also treat our enemies? Again, the very same applies, through love and humility. The Lord Jesus Christ calls Christians, which are, as Christians, we are his body and his church, to be lights of the world. Now, lights of the world have to be lit from one light, and that light that we have been lit from is the light of Jesus Christ. So we are called to be lights of his because our light has been lit by Jesus who dwells within us. We must be followers and disciples of Jesus Christ by the examples of how we live our lives. So if you want to be a true Christian, you first must look at yourself and look at the way that you live your life so that others may see our examples. And our examples must be Christ-like. They can't be examples which are worldly examples. They have to be Christ-like, the way Christ told us to live. And once people see and witness the way that we live our Christ-like lives in the world, that they see and bear witness to what we have done and so that they give glory and honour, all glory and honour to God and not to ourselves. To receive and want glory and honour for ourselves is again a product of sinful pride. The hardest thing for a Christian in this life is to show love for our enemies. Through the Christian struggle, which starts from the moment that we're born to the moment we breathe our last breath and leave the world, we must strive to love our enemies. This is the hardest of all the commandments that we have to master. However, the only way we can, we can master this commandment is through struggle, and it is only by the coming of the grace of the Holy Spirit. Man on his own cannot achieve the true loving of his brother's or his neighbour, or let alone his enemies. Without the grace of the Holy Spirit, we cannot do nothing. We need the coming of the grace of God to help us do it. Why? Because as human beings in sin, we cannot do it on our own. What we can do on our own is we can knock 
on, we can knock on the door and we can seek through humility and the Lord will answer our requests and come to comfort us. We need the coming of the grace of the Holy Spirit to come to us that it may lead us to repentance as only through repentance will we only truly to see the sins that are within us. And we must look at our own sins first as we are called, we must call ourselves the first among sinners. And once we see the sin within ourselves, we will call to God through prayer, repentance, that he might come and save us. Amen. Thank you, Father Paul, for that inspiring sermon. And now a reading from the Philokalia. Take your weekly spiritual dose and reflect on the words of our holy Neptic Fathers with this week's Philokalic Nourishment. When the intellect associates with evil and sordid thoughts, it loses its intimate communion with God. St. Maximus the Confessor The body cannot be purified without fasting and vigil, the soul without mercy and truth, and the intellect, that is the nous, without contemplation of God and communion with Him. These pairs constitute the principal virtues in these three aspects of the human person. Ilias, the Presbyter No cloud is formed without a breath of wind, and no passion is born without a thought. St. Mark the Ascetic The following segment is a reading from the lives of the saints, or Synaxarion. We have chosen to begin our first collection of readings on the lives of Antiochian saints, of which we are thankful to bring a selected number of edifying accounts. We hope that these Synaxarions will encourage you to put on the likeness of Christ, as did these vessels of grace. 
On the 4th of December, we remember our venerable, God-bearing father, John of Damascus. After the great city of Damascus, the metropolis of Syria, had fallen to the Muslims in 635, the Christians were subjected to many disabilities and had to pay tribute money to their Arab masters. At the time of the Caliph Abdul Malik, responsibility for everything to do with the Christian population was exercised by Sergius Mansur, who enjoyed the trust of the Caliph and came of one of the leading Christian families of the city. To this sincere, God-fearing man was born, about the year 675, our Holy Father John, the harp of the Holy Spirit. From infancy, he was brought up to understand how great are the virtues of almsgiving and deeds of loving-kindness, for his father devoted his great wealth to ransoming and freeing Christian prisoners. John grew up and increased in wisdom together with his brother Cosmas, who, having lost his own parents, was adopted by Sergius. The boy's education was entrusted to the learned Italian monk Cosmas, whom Sergius had ransomed from the Arabs. Cosmas instructed them in philosophy and in all the branches of learning of that time. Their lively intelligence and modest demeanour enabled them to make rapid progress and they excelled especially in the art of poetry and in music, so that at the end of some years their master, recognising that he had no more to teach them, obtained leave of their father to retire to the Lavra of Saint Sabas, where he desired to end his days. With a perfect knowledge of Arabic, as well as Greek, John joined his father in the administration, and proved so able that upon the death of Sergius, he was appointed as his successor by the Caliph Walid. When Leo the Isaurian began tormenting the Church of Christ in the Roman Empire by attacking the pious veneration of holy icons, Saint John launched a vigorous defence of the faith in his many letters from Damascus to correspondents in the Empire setting out the theological basis of the veneration of icons, as it is to be found in Holy Scripture and in the writings of the Fathers. He thus drew upon himself the hatred of Leo, who attempted to get rid of him by means of a forged letter in which John ostensibly wrote to the Emperor, suggesting that he seize Damascus. The letter was shown to the Caliph, who was furious, and ordered his counsellor to be deprived of his right hand. That same evening, John placed his severed hand before the icon of the Mother of God, and for many hours besought the Sovereign Lady of the world with tears to give him back the use of it. Falling into a light sleep, he saw the icon come to life and heard the All-Holy Lady consoling him. On awaking, he marvelled at the restoration of his right hand, which he vowed to devote thenceforth to the praise of the Mother of God and of our Saviour and to the defence of the Holy Orthodox faith. He gave up his position in the administration, distributed his fortune, and left for Jerusalem with Cosmas in order to become a monk at St. Sabas. The abbot of the Lavra gave charge over John to an elder, seasoned in the contests of virtue, but rough and demanding, who forbade him to have anything to do with philosophy, science, poetry, chanting or reading, and ordered him to devote himself without complaint to the most menial tasks, in order to advance in obedience and humility. One day, however, notwithstanding the prohibition of his spiritual father 
John was moved by the pleas of one who had lost a parent to compose for his consolation the eight-mode funeral idiomela, which is still in use today. When his elder heard of this act of disobedience, he told John to manually clean all the toilets in the lavra with his bare hands, and this he did without answering him back a word. But several days later, the Mother of God appeared to the elder and asked him thenceforth to permit his disciple to compose hymns and poems, which for beauty and sweetness would surpass the Psalms of David and the Odes of the Holy Prophets. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, John, like a sweet-sounding harp, then gave voice with faultless harmony to a large number of hymns which embody the deepest theological insights of the fathers of the church. He wrote the famed canon that we chant at Easter and composed the greater part of the hymns of the Octoichos in honour of the resurrection. He is also the author of wonderful canons and sublime homilies in honour of the feasts of the Lord, of the Mother of God and of the saints. Together with poetic gifts, God also bestowed on him the grace of expressing theology. Without adding anything more to the dogmas and to the doctrines expressed by earlier fathers such as Gregory the Theologian, Basil the Great, John Chrysostom, Gregory of Nyssa and Maximus the Confessor, Saint John Damascene, in a three-part work entitled The Fount of Knowledge, sets out the essentials of the Christian faith with such wonderful conciseness and clarity of expression that the whole work can be regarded as the seal and crowning glory of the great patristic era. The third section on the Orthodox faith is an outstanding landmark in Christian tradition and, for Orthodox Christians, it is the most reliable source on everything concerning the dogmas of the faith. John shows up the fallacies of the heresies that swerve to left and right of the royal road of sound doctrine which leads to heaven, especially in his contributions to the struggle against the iconoclasts. In three long treatises, composed between 726 and 730, he clearly indicates the deep theological grounds and necessity of the veneration of the holy icons and relics, for it is a proclamation of the reality of the incarnation of the Son of God, and of the deification of our nature in the persons of the saints. Having acquired true wisdom through humility and steadfastness in ascetic labours, the philosopher of the Holy Spirit fell asleep in peace in the Lord on the 4th of December, 749. The cave where he spent some time as an anchorite is venerated to this day in the monastery of St. Sabas. Through the prayers of your saints, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Amen. A big thank you to all our listeners as we conclude this week's episode of The Divine Lantern. Be sure to subscribe to our channel on your favourite podcast provider. For more information on our Archdiocese, follow us on our social platforms by searching Antiochian Orthodox Archdiocese Australia. We hope you tune in next week.